0: I love lists <laughs> good for you lists are fun yeah this was i remember us discussing before we recorded this next one about are, are we playing too deep into a standard trope here
1: by saying let's do a top eight let's do a top 10 yep a top the whole, something the whole list and and who comes up with these lists yeah and like the the top 10 you know best craft beers as rated by america's craft brewers really you interviewed five people, <laughs> and these are the best beers? Stop it. It drives me nuts. But, you know, hey, people love lists. Apparently mm-hmm. humans are are hardwired into liking lists and anything to do with lists. So, Oh, yeah. And in candor, when
0: when budgeting time for a podcast, if you know you've got eight categories to hit and you know you're trying to do it in 45 minutes, it allows you to look at your timer very carefully and know how things are, are moving along. Mm-hmm. Although I know for me, and I, and I think – you would agree with this we usually we start on a topic and we're talking along and we're getting through a lot of it and i look at the timer and go "Ooh, we're only 18 minutes in we're never going to fill up 45 minutes and the next time i look we're at 42 and going how the hell did that happen right yep (laughs) more than once has that occurred Mm -hmm. but yeah this this list we started talking about you know going back into the marketing side of things how do you need to be able to talk to your brewer And so many of these topics that we've gotten to up until this point were about, you can grow all the hops you want and they can be perfect, but if you can't convince someone to buy them, you're you're kind of in trouble. And how do you need to be able to speak to your brewer customer? So that got us talking about. You know, some of them that well—they're they're all legit, but some a little more tongue-in-cheek than others. Like, you know, not
1: showing up with the garbage bag. Tongue-in-cheek, but all that stuff comes from a place of reality. Oh, I mean, sure. That, this is—these are things that happen. Yes. And uh, granted, they're hopefully few and far between. But I mean, even in a previous episode where we talked with Scott, oh. yeah, it does happen. People just show up with in various states of <laughs> disarray, <laughs> disarray, packaging. <clears throat> Denial and it, denial is usually part of that, so this is actually a thing. I mean, it's it happens mm-hmm. and makes it great fodder for for a podcast. Oh sure, <laughs> but but it it's a thing. It, it is. It it's is. It's a thing. Now I like this episode because it was kind of the culmination of like all of the conferences that we would go to and whatnot, and people would ask us questions. They'd all want to be focused on like the plants and production. And then, like, really? There's no, there's no questions about, like, marketing or sales or how to, how to, like, talk to brewers? And, you know, I would usually get crickets. And, and I'd be like, "Oh, how many of you people are finding it really easy to sell the brewers? It was like nobody's hands go up. Really well, easy. why? Right? What, what is that about? And then every now and again, I'd ask a, a couple of, of growers, I'm like, give me your sales pitch. And, you know, they don't want to do that in front of 200 people. It's bad. it's really bad and it's like did you
0: guys not do your homework Mm -hmm. and it's probably bad because they've never thought about it in advance before they just walk in and start talking and to you they're just talking like do you do you have a beginning and an end do you have a value proposition all that and we get into all those things much later when we start talking about business plans and and Mm -hmm. marketing and all that Mm -hmm. but it was something that we learned early well Something that we recognized early and took a while to really learn was that, <laughs> hey, we never budgeted for a dedicated sales and marketing person. So that got done by you when you weren't in the field, which was mm-hmm. never right. Uh, the talking to brewers thing. Now, you have a – I'm, I'm going to try and say this without, without making myself sick. You have a naturally <laughs> engaging personality, so talking <laughs> to brewers is not a problem.
1: Uh, actually, uh, well, I do not. Have a naturally engaging personality. It takes a lot of energy for me to do that. Um, but I like to think I know how to turn it on when I mm-hmm. need to.
0: Yep. Yep. And not everyone does. And not nope. everyone wants to. And that w- that was one of the things we tried to do with our hop farm was, okay, we can we can be the sales liaison because we are able to turn that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So the eight things, you know, and, and of course, the other thing people want when they go to a conference or a class is... W- w- What's the one thing I need to do to make this work? Yeah, yeah. What's the secret? Yeah, what's the secret? And, okay, if there are eight secrets, if I do
1: five of those, is it enough? Is it okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, do I get most of the way there? Because, you know, I'm totally not into this, Mm -hmm. 100%. The other thing I think you'll notice when you listen back through this is
0: that these eight things to do when talking to brewers is kind of more like eight things not
1: to do when talking to brewers. That's also very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the The whole concept here is understanding your audience, and that even what seems like a quote cold call, is never a cold call, Mm-mm. right? You're doing your homework. You're knowing what how to address this as you know this this brewer as you're going to go talk to them, um, and things to be aware of that, you know, don't be writing checks that your butt can't cash. Mm-hmm. How, how does one set themselves up to for for success and also cover one's ass? From heat of the moment <laughs> comments, <laughs> exactly. I, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> no, no, and, and you know one of the things that I thought was particularly
0: good as I listened back through that the 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 small industry, especially for local agriculture and local brewing around you, and not trying to build yourself up by disparaging others mm-hmm. because you don't know who you're talking to and
1: who they know and who they're related to. <laughs> Correct. It's a small world. There's 9,000 craft brewers, and I think they all know each other. I think they do. You don't build yourself... Exactly. You don't build yourself up by breaking others down. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That that should just be a a general... Eight things when talking to anyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) True enough. Okay, so I thought it would be good to... Maybe talk about uh, circle back around and talk about dealing with brewers and, you know, is there some way that, you know, we could come up with a meaningful list of, you know, uh, these are the, these are the most common things you're going to hear from brewers and how to answer them. Right. And, and so then you came up, you've got this list here that you came up with and I figured we'd just ask each other questions. Sounds good to me. Okay. Let it rip. All right. So, in no particular order, we'll just we'll just address these one at a time. We can talk back and forth about it. But um, how about this one? So, uh, speaking as a brewer, and you're the grower, so how do I know these hops are any good? Well, because they're
0: mine. Oh. So, you know they're good. Yeah, and they're local. And I use the top quality
1: garbage bag to bring them to you. <laughs> three mil. Three mil ply, you know, triple ply. <laughs>
0: None of that Febreze
1: going on in there either. No no green apple smells or anything like
0: that. Unscented garbage bag delivery. Um, So how do I know these are good? Part of quality is the – I'll say the demonstration of quality. And if you're not proactively doing your chemical analysis and showing your brewer, here's my alpha, here are my oils, um, they're going to walk away before the conversation even begins. I think it's very important to make sure that you're showing them that you're taking pride in this and you're doing your due diligence on the analysis side. There's also the physical inspection side of things, and uh, you know we've talked about brown moldy hops. I believe I wrote a song about it. You did, it at one yes, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Um, so that's very important to make sure that that visually what you're showing them
1: is is the, the best of the best. It's a good crop. Well we talked to Scott Manning too at the vintage about quality right it's like what is if don't don't tell me my hops aren't quality if you can't tell me what quality means to you so you know I would push back and say well how are you determining whether these are good or not Mr or Ms Brewer you know I I, I agree with you that you've got to be able to defend your position in terms of what is a general market expectation but you know if somebody's going to ask me an open ended question like that you damn right I'm going to ask some more probing questions and say well you know what what is it that you're interested in seeing tell me what makes a hop good or not and i can address that question so
0: so it's it's being the expert in your own
1: product which if you're not that then don't try to sell it to anyone so what do you, so so the response is my response is always was asking yet more probing questions and you're not trying to deflect. You're just trying to figure out what they're really asking you. You know, it's like, how would how do you, how do I know these are any good? Or how do I know, you know, that you're going to give me a quality product and this, you know, well, did you bring them a sample? (laughs) Uh, Did you, like you said, do you let them see it? Do you let them, you know, sniff it, Uh, you rub it, do whatever they're going to do. But But, uh, you know, maybe they're coming from a place where they got stung before by a, you know, non-traditional hop grower. And now they're, now they're a little bit, you know, skittish about doing more business with a smaller grower. So, you know, you got to give them cause to believe that, you know, there's other, there's other good small scale hop growers out there. Sure. And
0: part of that goes beyond the physical product in your hands. There's the discussion of history, and maybe you're brand new and you don't have any history. But if there is some, well, sure, my hops have been used at this brewery, that brewery, the other brewery. Uh, We've had success with these. We've spoken before about just how far honesty goes, and the fact that we had, on many occasions, we had to say, look, we can't supply you with this variety because it came out like shit but let's talk about this other one and people respect the fact that you're willing to say i won't sell you crap because it does imply very strongly that what they are willing to sell you um passes your own personal inspection and your own um your own level of quality
1: that you force yourself to adhere to you know, one of my favorite things to do later in, in- the career, you know, once you've got a lot of sales under your belt and, you know, you've built a lot of relationships is, you know, people say, well, how do you know, it's like, well, why should I buy basically, why should I buy hops for you? Why is you, why are yours so much better than everybody else's and say, well, you know what? I don't know what everybody else's hops are like, but I can point to two dozen great American beer festival medal winners <laughs> that used our hops. <laughs> so they're doing something right. Um, end of story. So I can't, I can't, Make comments about and won't make comments about other people's crappy product. I can only tell them what makes mine good. So,
0: yeah, and that's an important point. And I think we've touched on it in the past when we did talk about hop quality. The fact that one of the things you really don't want to do is try and elevate your product by disparaging someone else's, because you do not know where that brewer has purchasedly purchased from. You don't know who their brother-in-law is, who may have a hot feel down the road. We've, um, you know, everyone's put their foot in their mouth at some time or another, but the way to be a good businessman or businesswoman in that situation is to talk about what you're doing right, not just why it might be better than what other people are doing wrong.
1: Yeah, there's so many times. And the the industry, with as much ridiculous expansion has been going on over the past decade, both in growing and beer production, it's still a small industry. Unless you're way outside of your region, you can be guaranteed that if you're working within your region, that those brewers know each other. Mm -hmm. And word gets around, so.
0: All right, so a question for you, then. um, All right, I see these are good. Well, how much can I have, and how much can you give me
1: next year, the year after, and the year after? I'd say, you know what? Cynical, facetious James would say, well, if I could tell the future, I wouldn't be doing this job. Um, because hop production is pretty much all about mother nature. So I, you know, there's so much in the production I can't control, but that's not what the brewers really asking. They're, they're they They want to understand, I think, what's your longevity. I mean, are you, is this a hobby? Are you a flash in the pan? What is it? Because if they're actually going to jump in with you, they're going to have some sort of, I don't say guarantee, but, but level of comfort that you're going to be around. And you're going to be able to provide provide them with what they need going forward. So my response to that typically would be, well, what's your what's your expected usage over the next three to five years? And what varieties are you going to use? And all of that sort of thing, because it doesn't do any good to say, oh, no problem. I'm, I'm growing. I'm going to have hops. But what varieties are they going to use? So it's just, I don't think it's a simple answer to say, yeah, can you supply me in the coming years? Supply you with what? Maybe. And and that, that just leads off on a whole nother myriad of questions. But I think I think that's okay because it demonstrates to the brewer that you understand your business model, you know, and the all the ins and outs of it, and that you understand the brewer's change of, of heart and mind in the styles that they make. And that they can pivot on a dime and leave you in the dust. So the Again, I, I come back with more questions. And if they can provide me those answers, you know, I'd say, yes, if <laughs> yes, I can provide you those hops, if right, you don't change your beer styles and you're gonna use this, you know, you're gonna commit to the varieties that I can grow and we're gonna be happy with that. But if you're gonna just change willy-nilly on me, you know, hops aren't hops, aren't hops. So if you're gonna change up your mind and do do something new that I can't grow. Or even if I can grow it, I can't pivot like you do, Ms or Mr. Brewer. so keep that in mind. It really sometimes is important to answer the question by answering a
0: different question right and and I agree you're not going to tell them I can have x number of pounds next year. What they're looking for is the is the promise of consistency. If I get into bed with you and this particular formulation takes off, I've got to be able to do it again. You've got to allow me to repeat. So I agree talking about it, it really goes back to the first question of how I know these are good. If you can be convincing in your plan and your process, and yes, my plan is as you said before, what's your plan longevity? Well, I'm gonna be here. Here's why I'm going to be here. The the very easy next step from that is sure the hops will be here too. And maybe that allows you also to upsell a little bit, um, to your point about, well, what are you going to need and, you know, what other kinds of beers are you working on? You turn that question of how much of this can I get next year into, well, how much of everything are you looking for? Because this isn't the only thing I've got. Yeah. So you enter more into that relationship and that discussion of their plans.
1: That's fair. I think, at least, you know, there's a few brewers that come to mind, you know, when I would press them, you know, they would ask these questions almost verbatim. and <laughs> I'd, I'd push back with these, with these, my own questions and they would just sidestep it because frankly, they didn't know. Um, and, but they weren't going to admit that they didn't know. You, you sort of get a feeling for, for their position. If they come back and say, Oh, that's a good question. You know, I plan to make, you know, this is our flagship beer, or if there's even such a thing anymore. Uh, and we're going to make about this many, you know, barrels a year. and need this many pounds of hops. Um, okay. You're asking me if I can basically guarantee you that I'm going to supply you hops. Can you guarantee me that you're going to buy them from me? Oh, wait a minute. Now that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that sort of that sort of puts them on guard and say, oh, this isn't like a Walmart, right? Where you can walk in and just get whatever's on the shelf. Um, if you're going to have a relationship, know that you're going to have a relationship. So, yep.
0: So that leads very nicely into the next question, actually, which was to talk about contracts and will you require a contract as a grower? Is your brewer asking, hey, what about a contract? Either I want one or I don't. And hop contracts are interesting because over the years, they've kind of fallen in and out of favor. They're great if uh, everyone's going to hold to them, which I've seen not happen quite a bit. But you see brewers who've been burned in the past contracting let's use cascade as an example at, at you know 10 bucks plus and now you can get it for two and they're stuck paying 10 um the flip side to that is that is there's a a perceived guarantee there that the hops will be there for them when they want them so that's something you have to figure out as a grower are are you going to require contracts or offer contracts to your brewers at you know, certain, you know, certain reduced price points if they commit to several years. Um, the trick there is that if you do have a mother nature situation and you can't provide, what is your uh, liability there? And it may just be your liability of reputation, but it's still liability.
1: Yeah, we need to have a whole another podcast just on the the contract talk because mm-hmm. you're right. They have fallen in and out of favor. The other thing I don't think people realize is that hop contracts with large brokerages and large farms in other parts of the world have, are fundamentally different than any contract you're going to sign with a brewer. Because number one you're, is a the, is the liability issue, like you said, with with all of a sudden saying, yep, you know what, I'm going to supply you this crop. And then you get a massive hailstorm and your crop is destroyed or, or at least severely diminished what, what are you going to do? What are you liable for? And that's all that language has to be in a contract, a large brokerage house, they're consolidating hops from all over the place. So they can absorb some, some yield losses from, you know, farmer, a B or C and be okay. And they're still going to get cascade to that, to that brewer. But if you're a two acre farmer, and you get whacked with Japanese beetles and you just get decimated or mites like spider mites like we had in 2012. What are you going to do? So these brewers are said, well, you were going to get me, you know, 2000 pounds of hops and you brought me 200 pounds. That puts them in a really bad place. So to think that you're just going to contract just like the Pacific Northwest does or, or New Zealand or Germany uh, is is really the wrong move, in my opinion. So. What is What do you need as a grower out of a contract? And what is the brewer willing to do, willing to discuss? And that's a really hard hurdle to get over because they're going to want guaranteed source of supply. You're going to want guarantee that they're going to buy them, but that's if you can produce them. And is that really fair on the brewer's side to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to not contract with somebody who I'm, I have a high degree of confidence can deliver. And I'm going to go with you, understanding that if you have a bad year, I'm totally screwed and I have to go buy on spot. So it's that's a super, super tricky question to deal with.
0: And you may run into a brewer that either re- requires it. Or what you'll also run into is someone who, when they're trying to say no to you, will use that as an excuse. Well, I've, I'm have i getting those via contract. I've got X m- number of pounds for the next five years. I can't buy that from you.
1: You know, there's, there's a lot of it depends in hop growing and just the industry in general, but certainly contracting is a big one where you've got to, I think, honestly get to a certain level of production before you can even start thinking about a formal contract. We would do, you know, what I called a pre-allocation where we would go into the season, we'd say, all right, we talk to our key brewers, our key accounts who bought from us every year and say, this is what we're projecting given a quote, normal year. Let's say we've got new production coming up or we've had some brewers fall off. We'll have an idea of, if everything goes right, (laughs) we'll have this much centennial. How much would you like to pre-allocate? Which is to say, we're not making you sign a contract, but we have a good enough relationship you, with you. where We're going to say, yep, you know what? I'll take this much, knowing full and well that I may get half of that if something goes really badly in the season. At a, when you're smaller, I th- frankly, I think that's about as good as you're going to get.
0: It worked well for us on a variety of levels. It allowed us to plan. Uh, we would never pre-allocate more than, what, 70% of what we thought we were going to yield anyway. Right. So we had buffer. Correct. And it does take what had been a handshake agreement and make it just a bit of a firmer handshake.
1: Oh, it's, it still was. We we would have a a, a makeshift. It, was, it wasn't even really a contract. It was more like a statement of work saying, you know, we have an intent to purchase X amount at this dollar rate, you know, this dollar amount if – Right, They met quality, blah, 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 and we would have to spell all that out if you, re- if you wanted to formalize that firmer handshake a little more. But honestly, I just – I don't – and I never thought it was fair for, a, for me to ask a brewer who is a contracting brewer to sign on with me knowing full well that if one misstep happens for me and the yield isn't there, I've just screwed that brewer and i probably wrecked my relationship. It wasn't until, you know, we started dealing in 10, 20, 50, 80,000 pounds, which is, you know, unthinkable for some folks probably listening to us. But it wasn't until we got to that level where I started feeling comfortable that, you know what, yeah, we can sign some actual contracts that resemble German or, or P&W type stuff. But that took a long time to get there.
0: I think you can leverage being small to a degree there. And if anyone actually says, you know, do I need to or do you have contracts? You you talk about being small and nimble and not wanting to lock the brewer into something that um, may not be feasible at this level of scale. So just be honest.
1: Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And that's going to, I think, end up in, in the long run selling more hops. And boy, I I don't know if it's the case as much now, Greg, but it, it was like five years ago. Everybody and their sister was chasing contracts because they thought that was going to lock them in and that that was guaranteed money. What they didn't realize is that the contract really had no teeth. If the brewer backed out, mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? Are you going to sue them? And people say, well, it's a contract. They have to they have to pay for it, you know, or buy them. Otherwise, you know, we we go to court. Well, go to court. There's a reason they're not buying them. It's probably because they don't have any money. So what are you going to sue? So you're going to sue them, and then let's say you're awarded, right? Your the lawsuit, you know, you, you're the winner. Then what? Now you got to get the money out of them. And if they don't have any money to begin with, how easy is that going to be? So the my question that I've always come back to anybody else who was who thought contracting was the end all, beat all, is that a contract? Same thing with a patent a contract is only worth as much money as you're willing to spend to fight it. You know, think about it like that.
0: Yep, your time and effort at that point is better spent finding another buyer. Correct.
1: So uh, just because, you know, people talk contracts doesn't necessarily mean, and they sign something, (laughs) doesn't mean really a whole lot of anything. You're still coming back to that trust and that, you know, handshake agreement that's what i have to say about contracts do i yeah. as a brewer do i need to sign a contract yeah maybe but what's that contract look like is it a is it a pre-harvest allocation is it a firm handshake is it you know what is it i don't know
0: yeah i don't know either and and how many brewers really care about them at the, at this stage anymore we've seen over the years so many get burned although you may have the flip side going on now with you know the hot, expensive hops. You know we'll will use Citra as we always do as an example. Maybe those contracts are good for the brewers because it's allowing them to lock in a price before things get too crazy. I I don't know.
1: That's I don't know. That that is true. But it's also there isn't a non traditional hop grower that's going to be supplying Citra or Nelson Savon or Eldorado or Eucanat or any of these hot ones. So that's firmly in the big guy camp of, of hop production for, for we small folks, you know, even if you had a proprietary variety that everybody loved and you're at a super small scale, you're not going to have enough to really back up a contract anyway. So I just, I don't see it being worth anything. Anyway, Mm -hmm. give me started on that. I've got a question for you. Okay. And I've, I've only come across this a couple of times, but (laughs) I, it always, I always kind of stumbled when I heard this. So as a brewer, like, right, you know what, I'm going to use your hops, but I don't want you to sell to any of my competitors. So it's like, I want exclusivity in this area, right? Is that okay? We got a deal? Hmm. That's, that's a tricky one because it's
0: flattering first and foremost. And as a business owner and, you know, if at the small stages, a relatively new business owner, this is the dream, you know, someone wants all of what I'm producing. That's fantastic. But for the last 20 minutes, we've talked about the fact that contracts are not enforceable. Um, What I say I'm going to supply, you may not really take everything you said you're going to take. And you have to protect yourself. So will I give you all of my crop and not sell it to my competitors? If you buy all of it, um, no questions asked. I don't see why not. But that, that has to be the counterpoint there is if you take it all, I have none left to sell anyone. It's yours. Hmm. I feel like you disagree with that just
1: a bit. No, I, I I'm just thinking because they're saying, you know, is this you do you want do you want me to do you want to lock me up for this year for next year for 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 how long and at that point, unless I have cash on the barrelhead from those guys up front, my answer is no. Because, again, we're just dealing with a handshake, and now you're telling me that, all right, if, I, if you don't buy all of my Skyrocket, I'm still not allowed to sell it to anybody else?
0: Well, I think that has to be the, the very first counter question back to them is, well, are you planning on buying all of it? And if you're not planning on buying all of it, you can't ask me to not sell it to whoever will buy it from me.
1: And I would ask them up front, say, yeah, that's fine. Let's do this. It's going to cost this much. Pay me now. Because, yeah. because if they back out and you, let's say they back out in July and you had this agreement in January, you've burned an entire season worth of potential sales because you anticipated selling all this stuff to one person. Now you're sitting on it. What are you going to do with it? You don't have time left really to sell it. Now you're going to be selling that crop instead of pre-selling, like pre-allocating for the next year's crop. Now you're sitting on a bunch of stuff because you had thought you were going to sell it to these other people. So if somebody came to me and said, you know what? Yeah, we want to do this and we want to lock you up. I'd say, that's great. You're going to pay me now, or we're going to put the money in escrow so that it's there. And you're committing to it, and I think that will, as my grandma used to say, take their bobber under, <laughs> <clears throat> because what you're asking them to do is put their money where their mouth is. Yep,
0: yep. A- and you're you're confirming that yes, you're you're going to use all of this. Mm-hmm.
1: It it ha- it's a question that has come up a couple of times, but it's I would I would caution I would caution people not to be flattered by it. Because it can bite you in the ass big time.
0: It really connects very well to the contract question, which is um, again, there's nothing you can do to enforce them to take everything. if If anyone comes to you and wants to buy your entire crop, God bless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. but um, to to ask you to not sell to maybe it's maybe it's not don't sell to anyone. Just don't sell to the people locally, sell it outside of this area. It's still a no. You're in business to sell
1: your product. Right. I agree. And you also, you know, the another downside to, to agreeing to do that would be the fact that certainly if you're an up-and-coming grower, stop trying to penetrate the market. You stop trying to find new customers because what are you going to sell them? Yeah, this may sound great for a year, but next year they may be like, "Yeah, you know what? We did that, and we overextended ourselves, so we're not going to buy any more hops from you this year." And now you've got a, you've lost an entire year of building your customer base. You have you you become a kept man. Yep, yep. Well, I mean that's normal for me, but uh, no,
0: <laughs> <laughs> preaching to the choir. Yeah, yep, yep. So, um, and and the other potential danger here, and this is this is a very kind of far-fetched one, but hear me out. I mean, someone who has found something golden for whatever reason in a variety that maybe you've developed and wants it all, um, if they take it all and don't know what they're doing with it, they could end up reselling it.
1: Oh, sure. Out
0: from under you and and either make more money off of it or devalue the crop if they're trying to dump it and devalue the name. So just... Uh, be, be careful of that sugar daddy who seems too good to be true. They probably are. Yeah, Good point. So question for you, and this is a, I think this is a slam dunk easy one, but I'm, I'm a brewer and, you know, we've had the discussions about quality. You've convinced me you do a good job. So it, it's the early summer and I know you're neck deep in, in your farm. Can I come for a visit?
1: Mm. <laughs> you boy, you don't want to turn them away. I would say, yes, of course you want to come for a visit. And we I think we've talked about this in the past. Um about I think it was in maybe in the quality discussion. How proud are you of your hop yard? You know, you really only get what do they say, you get one chance to make a first impression. And if you're trying to sell a brewer on quality and and have them think that you know provide the impression that you know what the hell you're doing and you and they come out and your hop yard is full of weeds everything's really ratty and tattered looking or you know they're like yeah let me come out and visit your yard and you're really only a half an acre but in your grandma's backyard make sure that you've got expectations set correctly beforehand to say you know what can you come out sure i just want you to know this is the height of production season and it is a shit show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, because you're not, you're not walking into a, a, a manicured English garden, right? This is a working farm and just set those expectations. You don't want to say, oh, you know, if you're going to come out, just be ready. Cause I got weeds all over the place and you know, I've got Donnie milk, blah, blah, blah. You don't want to talk it down, but I would say just let them know that, you know, yeah, you know what, come on out, but you know, be aware that, well, like a lot of times. We're spraying this week. And, you know, there's no re-entry into the field after X, Y, and Z time. So, we, you know, we've really got to be careful about when you do show up. And that's a serious thing. You can come out, but unfortunately, we're not going to be able to walk the yard because we just sprayed for Downey or whatever it happens to be. So I say yes, but you have to be cautious about setting the correct expectation. Does Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining oh, I it think correctly it, but it absolutely
0: does it's that difficult balance and you're right we did talk about it during a hop quality it's that balance between you should be open and if you're not proud of what you got on display then maybe you should rethink what you're doing <laughs> yeah um even though yes a working farm is a working farm and you know it, it can be a mess and that's okay um it doesn't necessarily mean quality's bad but you need to be open to the brewer if you want to convince them that you're doing the right thing. Um, You know, you can always tongue-in-cheek look back at the the brewer asking the question and say, sure, when can I come over to the, you know, and see what you're doing with the kettle? Because it's no – I mean, on brew day, it's like seeing how the sausage is made.
1: (laughs) Well, and, you know – much like you know, when we were working in the hop, let's say we do have a spray that has to go out, and let's say it's a it's one of the difficult sprays where you've got you know three things you're putting on, followed by a granular and whatnot, and you've literally got three people on tractors and two people in tenders, and and you're one of those people. It's like, hey, yeah, let's come out and can I come out and visit? Really? I don't I don't need somebody in the kitchen that is just going to stand there and get in my way right now. You could. You can
0: always make it sound extremely unattractive. You know, well, do you have good work boots and good gloves because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going on? Um, you need to sign a waiver, which which we always did when we had tours. Oh, we have
1: to, yeah, for um, for, for food safety. But
0: mm-hmm. And you can always, you know, back up to that as well and say, well, oh, I wish you'd come last week when we were doing our tours right before the heavy production starts. It's a mess now. But sure, come on out and I'll tell you what it looked like before.
1: Yep. The other, sometimes I, what I would do is say, yeah, you can come out, but it's got to be in the evening because they're brewing. Brewers are are early morning people and they get in, they get their brew started because it's an all day process. And by five or six o'clock in the evening, I'm done with most of my heavy yard activities. And sometimes it gives me a little chance to clean up. And so At that point, you have time to to talk and visit and sit down and have a few beers and make it a more enjoyable experience. You know, if they were like, yeah, we'd like to swing out around 1030 in the morning or no, we're not going to do that (laughs) because odds are I'm on a tractor. And guess what? My downy mildew spray is more important than your visit. (laughs) So
0: that's a really good point because it does. It also just hits home the fact that, yeah, I'm working. I'm busy right now. Just like when you came to the brewery and I was doing 18 things and the line at the at the bar was six people deep and I didn't have time to look in your garbage bag of hops. Please don't come out in the middle of my busy season when I'm working here. I think the after hours meeting, which is much more of a business meeting, makes a lot of sense.
1: And again, setting that expectation and asking them, why are you here? Is this an is this a a team building exercise for your brew staff, because that's fine. But if that's the case, why don't you bring them out during harvest when it's sexy and we can schedule it? And we would do this with Bill all the time. And we would schedule brewers back to back to back to back during harvest. And I would go up there and basically run tours for them. A lot of these small grow or brewers, you know, they don't have the, the, the bandwidth or the money to go out west to see a massive harvest. And this is maybe the only t- chance they're going to see this happen. You know, that paid off in spades uh for building new brewer relationships and building confidence but it was structured you know i was there cuz it's bill's farm he was managing harvest i was there to run the tour he would stop in you know at certain times and and meet and greet folks but then he'd be off f- farming <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. so so it can be done, absolutely, and I, I, if a brewer wants to come out and engage me on my turf, I never would turn that down, but I think you've got to set some expectations and ground rules.
0: And you raise an interesting point there that maybe strategically, it's more of an invitation from the grower. Rather than wait for the brewer to ask, you invite them on your terms when the timing's right and then if they say, no, 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 but then a few months later, hey, can I come out? Oh man, we're you know, we're in the middle of the of the pinnacle of everything right now. Um not necessarily to turn them down, but you you set that different level of expectation because you've already offered to them to do it when the time was right for you.
1: And then you build these relationships over time that become really solid and they become more like friendships and Every now and again i there's one brewer that would just kind of roll into the driveway right at the farm with his dogs and say, I just had to get out of the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Well, you're here. That's fine. You know that you know the drill, but I'm not sitting down and entertaining you. And he wasn't after that. Cause you know, we had other property in the back and he'd he he lived in the city, so he'd bring his dogs out and he's like and he knew he could let him run out there. I said, just keep him out of the hop yard, because likely we had sprayed something. Um, and he said, That's fine. Or he'd say, is it okay if I come out on Saturday with my wife and the dogs and roam through the hop yard? And as long as like the, the re-entry interval for spraying was passed, I'd be like, absolutely come on out. Because he enjoyed he enjoyed being in the country. You know, that I don't have a problem with. But the, you know, if a new brewer or somebody I'm trying to build a relationship with, I'd never let that happen. I'd say, nope, sure. we're going to do it at this time and this is how we're going to do it, so.
0: And as as an aside, I mean, it's not what we're talking about today, but I know we had plenty of issues over the years, not with brewers necessarily, but with looky loos just pulling up and saying, oh, hey, heavens. this is cool.
1: Yeah. So and, many. And, and,
0: yeah. And you've got every right in the world to say, there are, you know, for legal reasons, I cannot let you walk through my hop yard. I know you're interested. Thank you for your interest. I'm sorry, don't get out of your car.
1: And not so much as me, but Thad, you know, one of our other business partners, he would just be downright. You know, I don't, belligerence may be too strong, but it would just really torque him off. And certainly when, when we were early days growing hops and they were on his property and people would just drive into his driveway and wander around his yard. And he'd come on and say, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, yeah, we saw the hops. We want to take a look. He's like, you're trespassing. <laughs> what can I? And they say something like, do you mind if I just roll into your living room and open up your refrigerator? <laughs> and people are like, well, you don't have to be so mean about it. He's like, You are trespassing on my property. I don't know who you are. I didn't give you permission to be here. Get out. Um or stranger danger. Stranger danger, yeah. So look looky los are, are awful. Um and I just yeah, they were sort of the bane. We have to keep a, a strong eye out for them. To the point at the at the big farm we had, I had to put up signs saying, Smile, you're on camera. Oh, nice. Even though we didn't have any cameras. But it worked. It deterred it deterred people from you know, just like pulling over to the side of the road, climbing over a fence to wander in our hop yard on the weekends.
0: I'm making a note here to do a future recording session, an entire hour on strategies to keep people out of your yard, both legal and not so much.
1: <laughs> exactly. How about big yellow signs that say, Pellegro, uh, <laughs> you know, pesticide application. People are like, oh, poison. <laughs> Invisible fence or not so invisible. Not so invisible, yep. Caution, skunks. Um, Very nice. mm -hmm. Okay, well, speaking of skunks, how about this one? I
0: know know where you're going
1: with that. (laughs) How about about this one? Hey, I'm a brewer. Can you grow citra? Nope. Next question. (laughs) So, no, I I can't
0: grow citra because I'm not willing to pay some insane licensing fee. Even if they give you one. (laughs) you know even if yeah, they give you one yeah
1: which they won't so just mm-hmm. forget about that
0: we've we've talked before about how important it is to grow what's going to work in on your land and where you are geographically um but also what's going to be profitable now granted citra is incredibly expensive you can make a lot of money selling it but it is proprietary you cannot grow that without a license and um and i would say the things that are very hot and our proprietary aren't going to be hot forever, and spending the money on that license, if you're even able to do so um, or allowed to do so, it's not going to be worth it in the long run.
1: Yeah, to date, there has never been a license granted for any of the proprietary varieties outside of the Pacific Northwest.
0: Yeah, so it's just just not going to happen. You are better served educating yourself on varieties and what they offer in terms of aroma and how you can have that discussion with your brewer so when your brewer asks the question you notice a lot of our responses here are when they ask you this question counter with this question when they say can you grow citra well what are you trying to do with that what are you doing and there are probably some other varieties that i can give you at a much lower price than citra that can get you there let's talk
1: I mean, that's that's a good response. I would say that, at least in my experience, the rate of takers <laughs> to have that conversation is very, very low, maybe 1 in 10, 1 in 20, because they're looking for citra because they have to use citra because that's what they have to use. Uh, because that's what people want because they're being told that that's what he has to use. (laughs) They don't know why they're using it and they wouldn't, they're not necessarily interested in the experiment and the uncertainty of using something to approximate Citra when they could just go and get it easy button hops. We talked about that before. So, yeah, it's usually a deflection. And frankly, if that, I think if that brewer is asking you that question early in the relationship, they either, A, haven't been listening to what you've been saying, B, have no clue about the hop industry, or C, I say they don't have appetite for change. And typically, the, the the conversation killers for me would be, yeah, can you grow Simcoe or Citra or whatever it happens to be? And the other one, if if that was one of their first questions out of their mouth, or the other one is, uh which i think we're going to talk about next let's just segue into it uh how much how much are your hops if they ask me that like just like the first second third question they're not interested in my spiel because my hops were yeah. more spendy but there was a reason for it but that's not what they were interested in so why are your hops so expensive greg
0: well, I'm small scale. I have none of the economies of scale that the Pacific Northwest has. It's me and these three guys you see behind me picking stuff off the vines. <laughs> um, it's, it's just going to be more expensive. I can talk about the higher quality, the, the boutique of it, and this and that, but it really comes down to pure economics. And um, if you're willing to support local and you're willing to um, work with me here, then you won't be sorry because what I'm producing is a quality product, and we've already had that discussion. I cannot meet those prices you're getting for the mass-produced and you know mass-dried. And we can get into you know at some other time why why small-scale drying works so well from a quality perspective, but it, it's it's about scale.
1: What What's worked for me is saying, yep, A, being unapologetic and saying, yeah, I know, but my hops are more expensive. I produce a premium product for us in our, you know, as Gorse Valley, in our experience, it was that, that set in the consumer's mind that we are providing a premium product when we would, you know, whether they even touched it or not, just the fact that we were unapologetic about how much it cost and we could defend it. They're like, oh, wow, okay. They're really, the hops are that much better. I'm like, well, the hops quality is better because of X, Y, and Z, aroma specifically. But we're also adding value in other ways. Our technical expertise, not just in hops, but in your entire brewing process, uh, collab, you know, collaborative relationships, uh, the fact that you can run out of hops, call me and I will deliver them to you, uh, no shipping charges. Those are the 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 value adds that I think brewers don't see up front that lead into why your hops, you know, on a pound per pound basis are are more spendy. If that's not of any value to them, it's just go somewhere else because you're you're never going to make that sale and you're wasting your time. Right,
0: they're they're not going to be your customer. Now, the truth of the matter is, and and this will get you nowhere, so don't bring it up. But I have to say it. The truth of the matter is that the cost of hops as a percentage of the cost to make beer overall, if your hops are 20% more expensive, it, it's almost irrelevant in the grand scheme. But never tell a business owner how to spend their own money. So you, I, I always like pointing that out that it, it's not a huge difference and yet, if you look at the brewer and say, well, come on, you know this is only going to cost you an extra 15 cents per six-pack you sell to go with my hops versus theirs. You've just told them that their business practices and their acumen is not important. So you just can't go there.
1: You can. I, I, I would agree with you uh, in general, but I also think that it's good to have that in your back pocket if a brewer is really not going to back down. If they're going to, if if you're going to, you know, defend yourself and say, this is why, and they're just not going to, they want to use it as a, you know, as a stake to drive. And I've run into this before where they're just like, well, you guys just have no idea, no clue about the business, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're not going to buy from you at that point. So I would use it as an opportunity to educate and say, well, you know, in general, even for your skunk ass IPA, Hops are less than 2% of the cost of goods. So what you're telling me is that if my if my hops that I'm selling you, and I'm selling you at a premium of 30%, I can guarantee you, you spill more beer than the increase of 30% on your 2% cost of goods margin for a better product and better customer service. Now, if that's not important to you, okay, We're, I, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> good Good <laughs> luck. I've, you know, I remember one time I had this exact discussion and it, luckily it was a, it's a brewer frenemy. Let's put it that way. I was sitting in his tap room and I watched his servers behind the bar dump out pit pint after pint after pint because of foam, because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And I'm just sitting there and I look at him like, she's wasted more beer pouring it down the drain than you would have spent in a premium product of my, of my hops. You know, and he kind of chuckled and, uh, whatever, James, blah, blah, and then he got and left. Because it was true. <laughs> <laughs> so not only do do business owners not like to be told how to spend their money, they also don't like like it to be pointed out when their opinion is wrong. <laughs> or when money's being wasted in their very own yeah, it's, shop. It's there I shouldn't say their opinion is wrong, because everybody's entitled to their opinion, but... The tenants upon which their opinion is based is faulty <laughs> how 's that sound <laughs> that works so yeah that's a that's a touchy topic, but that 's one that I absolutely will not back away from and I think if as long as you're unapologetic and know why you're charging what you're charging, no one can fault you for it
0: yep, and you've got as much right to be a business owner setting your own prices as they do so the what you can't allow yourself to do um especially small scale is get into a bidding war and start shaving price i mean some- sometimes it happens, but if you do not understand your business plan and your margins and what your costs actually are, if you try and just meet market pricing or undercut it to get in the door, you're going to um you know, you can't make that up in volume, as they say. You're going to put yourself out of business before you know it.
1: I and I was one to even haggle. It certainly, if I had crop that was uh, like Brewer's Gold, one of my favoriteest hops ever. But people just have a hard time using it and selling it because it requires some significant skill to use. But and it grows great for us. It was bulletproof, uh, and we could we could grow you know two thousand pounds an acre pretty easy, even as amateurs. But you know, it might be. Coming on to March, and I've still got a bunch in the freezer. Brewers are like, hey, what what do you got sitting around? You know, and they're they're looking for a deal, but those hops aren't doing me any damn good sitting in the freezer. Sure. So I've got to get something out of them. And so I would haggle a little bit and say, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'll do this if you take, yeah, I'll do, you know, back in the day, I'll do 950 on those centennial, even though the spot or the, the other markets that I'm selling them into are 14. So I'll take a, a hit on the centennial. But you're also going to take X number of pounds of Brewer's Gold at six. Oh, well, I don't know about Brewer's Gold. You tell them about it. It's like, oh, man, that make a perfect bittering hop. Right? It would do this or do that. I'm like, yep. So I would haggle with it because ultimately those hops sitting in the freezer, based on how you're pricing them, they're, they're costing you money at that point. Very true. Very true.
0: And, and I like the approach there of the, uh, the combo meal approach, if yep. you will.
1: Yeah, and it worked really well. So I'd do that with Mount Hood and Brewer's Gold Sterling. God, when we had so much Sterling. Um, yes, I recall. Yeah. So anyway, it's a little off topic.
0: But. I, I like that approach a lot. And the, the, the trick with that though, and, and you alluded to it there, is that you've got to be able to convey how they can use it. Because if they've got zero interest in a Brewer's Gold, but if you can talk them into, well, hey, works well as a bittering hop. Oh, you know... We were thinking of doing something along those lines, but they never would have thought of it on their own. So you've got to be able to position the stuff that's not selling well so that they don't look at it as something that they're just going to end up throwing away. Yeah, exactly.
1: You've got to uh, – Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier. I mean you've got to know your own damn crop and you've got to know – I'm not going to say as much as the brewer, but you've got to know a considerable amount about their process to be able to to sell your product. So point well made.
0: The, the last question here of our, our top eight questions that we had thrown together. Um, so, James of James Hops, I, I want these. I'm into it. We've got a handshake agreement. I like what you've got here. But I don't have anywhere to hold them. So how about you store them for me and we agree up front that I'm going to take X pounds for the year. And you just get them to me and bill me as I need them. How does that work for you?
1: Good question. Yes, with an if, no, with a but. Early on, we would do anything we had to to make the sale. As volumes grew and customer numbers grew, now we're starting to carry inventory that is allocated for other people, prepaid or not, but you have a carrying cost. And cold storage is not cheap, whether you're renting it or you have your own. So, what we would back into is say, yeah, you know what? If I had a little chest freezer, yeah, you know, that's fine. They can stay here. You've only got 500 pounds and I can fit them in this chest freezer, whatever. But if all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we need, you know, 3,500 pounds of Glacier, but we, you know, we only need 44 pounds every other week. Can you store these? The answer is yes. The answer for me was always going to be yes, but this is what it's going to cost to store it because brewers, if they've got any kind of contracts or they're buying from larger brokers, they pay storage fees. It's and that's a certain percentage. They say, you're going to use this much over this amount of time and you're going to be charged monthly or quarterly a storage fee. Because you can't do that for free. And I never once had a brewer who squawked about that.
0: But did did they turn around and say, you know what, we'll just take it all then? Oh,
1: no. Or... Because they physically no. couldn't. Okay. You know, they where are they going to put it? And I told them, the last thing I want to see is my hops stacked up in your hot brewery in a corner somewhere in the sun. I would rather keep them here or find a place for them to live. The other option is, you can can take them all yourself and you can keep them at whatever cold storage facility you want. But I guarantee you that, you know, it's going to go in with cheese and beef and all kinds of other stuff. And nobody's really going to give two craps about your hops that are in cold storage there. And you're just going to keep paying a pallet space. So... Or, you know, we had our own cold storage, so we could say, we'll hold them here, but it cost me money to operate my cold storage. This is what it's going to cost to keep it. And it was usually 8%. We would bill that out quarterly based on the volume they had left. It's an extra step of bookkeeping and inventory management. But, you know, when you get to that volume, you know, 10,000 pounds or so uh, of production, you're going to have to have a significant or I shouldn't say significant. A dedicated cold storage system. So you're going to have something. It costs money to run those things. Oh yeah, and
0: we went through growing pains on that. When you know we talked to before about the fact that when you love to farm or you love to brew and you turn it into a business, there are all these things you didn't really think you ever needed to know about. Yeah. Uh, and cold storage was an issue for us for a while when we realized, wow, we're not going to sell everything the moment it's processed and we've got to put it somewhere. And we went through several different methods of storing over the years, just trying to figure out what worked for us.
1: And you ultimately get to a, a point where your volume is large enough, you can't beg, borrow or steal the space. So now you either got to build or you got to pay. And we did both uh, because it was, you know, we never had enough cold storage space of our own. And even if we did, it'd cost an arm and a leg to run it. <laughs> but for a really small-scale grower that's got an acre or so, go on Craigslist and get yourself a chest freezer. Because that's all you're going to need. And do you, at that point, do you really need to charge them to store their product? Probably not. Because if you're charging a premium for the product, that could be a value add. And that's the way I approached it when we were much, much smaller. So,
0: You do have to keep on top of your customers at that point, though, to make sure that the crop that you're holding for them, they're actually still going to take. Because that's the other danger here is you've told them you're holding it. You've basically allocated it for them. And it sits and it sits and it sits. And at some point, you want to be paid for that.
1: If they were going to want us to store it, I would make them whatever the volume is. They say they were only going to take, like I said, 44 pounds of Glacier every couple of weeks, but they wanted 3,000 pounds for the year. I'd make them pay for half of it up front. So now they're incentivized. (laughs) So, and they're like, well, we paid for those hops. Plus on top of that, we're paying 8% storage fees or whatever it is. And I used 8% because when I did the math, that's what worked out for us. They're incentivized to use it. And believe me, once they've paid for it, they don't forget where it's at. (laughs)
0: I'm using the phrase sugar daddy more often in this episode than I feel comfortable with. But, yeah, it's kind of like paying for that apartment in the city.
1: Mm, right, yeah. <laughs> so,
0: you know, she's there when you want her to be there. Um, I, you and
1: I live vastly different lives.
0: Oh, oh, I've only, I've only read about this oh, kind Oh, of
1: right, existence. yes, it's called Dear you Penthouse. Know. I understand.
0: So that is our list of um, the top eight questions that you should be prepared for when a brewer comes to you. My ask, my ninth question is for those of you who are doing this, who are growing, we want you to come back and post on the website, you know give us comments on the, on the podcast, and tell us other questions that you are getting. Because what I would love to be able to do in a couple of weeks is do a follow up to this, talking about other questions folks have received and how they approach them. And maybe how we would have approached them if it's different. Yeah. That would be a, a wonderful follow-up if we can get some of those questions back from you Yeah, it would be a ton of fun. It would. And I promise we will name check you on the podcast. You can have all your friends listen. Your grandma can hear us say your name on, on the interwebs. It will be very exciting <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> yes.